Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 380 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not really asked you to agree with me, I'm asking you to hear me out. Here's a little something personal about me. I don't like ending things on a negative wave. I don't like ending things. You know how people say, I have good news and I got bad news? Give me the bad news first every time. I just don't like ending conversations. I don't like hearing negative things last. Just get the negative out the way first, and we're good. That's that's how I operate. I don't I don't want to finish something on a bad note, you know? On Thursday night football, and I start that, I start my episode with that because on Thursday night football. You saw some high highs and you saw some low lows when we talk about the NFL in general. The Baltimore Ravens played the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday Night Football. So with the logic that I just said and how I started this episode, let me give you the negative. Because I want to obviously end this on a positive. I don't understand why it's so hard for the NFL to listen to their players. Or I don't understand why the NFL doesn't obviously see data that would benefit them in the long run and maximize that data. You know what? I do understand it. The data shows that obviously more football generates more money. That's obvious. Football is king in the in the U.S. or United States. More football generates more money. When you look at college football, when you look at Monday night football, Sunday night football, Thursday night football, next week they're going to have a Friday, a, a Black Friday football game, and they're going to have Thanksgiving games. More football generates more money. If you ever want to know the the what's the word that I'm trying to find? If you ever want to know the intentions of somebody or the intentions of something, watch their actions. I feel like I'm beating around the bush a little bit too much. Mark Andrews gets hurt on Thursday night football. Very severe ankle injury more than likely he broke it I don't at while I'm recording this the official diagnosis of his ankle hasn't been revealed but they do they are saying that it's likely out for the season Mark Andrews gets hurt Joe Burrow obviously has been nursing a wrist injury I don't know for how long the NFL or the Bengals are investigation because he obviously wasn't on the injury report He hurts his wrist or hand. Can't grip the ball, can't throw the ball. Lamar Jackson gets hurt. Now, obviously, he finished the game, but Lamar Jackson gets hurt. Odell Beckham Jr. gets hurt. He finishes the game as well, but he gets hurt. I understand the data that the NFL is looking at. The data that they're looking at is more football, generates more money and they understand that it doesn't matter what day of the week 
football is played, people are going to watch. This this is probably actually no probably this game was obviously the best Thursday night football game we've had this year. There's been some horrific Thursday night football games. But people have still watched week after week. Yo, I think there was a there was a Washington played the Bears on Thursday night football. Like there there has been some bad Thursday night football games, but people are still watching. So I understand looking at that data, it makes sense why you would continue to have Thursday night football games. But the data I'm looking at is the fact that we hear how horrific the NFL is as far as the toll that it takes on your body and how you hear the famous phrase getting hit in the NFL is like a car crash. Just the amount of force that two people or multiple people clashing into each other does to the body. We hear that all the time. So in what way, shape, or form do you think? They, they also say that it takes the body. Or it usually takes a full week to at least recover enough. Not a full recovery, but recover enough to play another game. Which means from Sunday to Sunday. Or from Sunday to Monday, it that's how long it usually takes for the body to heal so it can play another game. Not fully heal, but heal enough that it can get up enough to play another game of football. If it takes that long, in what way, shape, or form do you think that it is healthy for your players to play a game on Sunday? And then play yet another game on Thursday. I don't have the stats here. But I'm sure that there is a. Staggering number of injuries related to Thursday night football. Because the body just isn't supposed to take that much punishment in that short amount of time. Now people I understand. The, the the argument is, well, you're playing football. Anybody can get hurt. I understand that. But I, I retort that by saying this. You can go out, get in a car, and you can get, anybody can get into an accident. Anyone, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be doing the right thing. Anyone can get into an accident when you drive a car. But who is more likely to get into an accident? A person that is driving the speed limit or a person that's driving 100 miles an hour? Yes, football is an aggressive sport. Yes, football is a sport where anyone can get hurt at any time. But I'm sure the likelihood and the percentage of you getting hurt raises exponentially when you don't have the same amount of rest as somebody else if you're playing on Sunday a physical game the Ravens played the the Cleveland Browns on Sunday one of the most physical defenses in football 
you're playing them and then you have to go and play the the Cincinnati Bengals and you're wondering why there's so many people that get hurt on Thursday night football so I don't want to I wanted to start there because I want to obviously end on a positive note I'm going to talk about the game because it happened but it, it just it just breathe like I there's no metric outside of money that says Thursday night football is a positive thing for these players. And when I say outside of money, it really it really isn't money for the players. You don't get extra money because you're playing a Thursday night football game. It's more it's just extra money for the teams and, and revenue and, and the NFL. These players, yes, they get a game check. But they would have got the same game check if that game was moved to Sunday or Monday. So, again, before I move on and actually talk about the game, for the people that continuously say you know what you're you're risking, you know what you're doing, you have accepted the consequence when you put on helmet and pads, right? Again, anyone can get into a car accident driving outside. But who is more likely to get into an accident? Someone that's driving the speed limit or someone that's going 100 miles an hour? There are things that are preventative. Thursday night football is a fairly new thing. It probably came about four or five years ago. It doesn't have to continue to be a thing. And I promise you, that the NFL will still thrive if there was no Thursday night football games. Or the only football game that's on Thursday is like Thanksgiving. Or if you do want to do a Thursday night game, don't allow the teams to play the Sunday before. Because, was it Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Four days of recovery for an NFL game is insane. The documentary, The Bishop Sycamore, and I understand it was two days, but people were killing Cuz for having his team play two game two games in a span of like three days. Well, that's essentially just add another day. That's essentially what the NFL is doing. But because they're professionals and because it's the NFL, we're just supposed to be cool with it. No, bro. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. And as you see, Mark Andrews is out for the season. Joe Burrow, we're still waiting on diagnosis, but he couldn't even grip the ball. He couldn't finish the game. Lamar Jackson got hurt. He finished the game, but he got hurt. That's all I'm saying. But let's talk about the game. When a player gets hurt or a player isn't or team isn't 100 percent. It's very hard to get a. Grand scope of. The team, both teams, because there's obviously an asterisk somewhere. I'm not saying there's an asterisk in the win or the loss. I'm saying there's an asterisk somewhere and the asterisk was the Cincinnati Bengals were not healthy. Joe Burrow, like I said, didn't play most of the game. 
Hubbard was out. It, it just it, they just weren't healthy. Now, yes, the Ravens weren't healthy as well. Ronnie Stanley wasn't playing. And while that is true, that you can't really get a it's it's hard to get a full picture of both teams when both teams are not healthy. But what you can get out of the game is. I talked about this a while ago. What measuring stick games are and how there are. Every game obviously is important, but there's more importance to some games because of the opponent that you play or the stakes that are that are attributed to this game. Because the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens lost on Sunday, this game was extremely important for both teams in very different situations. And now that one team, the Baltimore Ravens won, there are different feelings around both teams. Going into the game, the Cincinnati Bengals were fighting for, I'm not going to say their playoff lives, but were fighting for their legitimacy, at least this year, not in, in total, but this year in the AFC North. They were currently going into this game. They were currently last in the AFC North, and they needed to win. The last thing that you can do, especially with a division this strong and this powerful, you can't continue to crater down because even though the Steelers continue to get gained on, that sound, that's a crazy sentence. <laughs> Pause. Let me let me say. Even though the Steelers continue to get outgained in every game they play, they still find a way to win. So the last thing that you want to do is continue to dig the hole in the AFC North because as it's looking like outside of the Cincinnati Bengals now, three teams, actually possibly every team in the AFC North can make the playoffs. But going into the game, the Cincinnati Bengals were holding on to their not just AFC North legitimacy, but their playoff legitimacy because the AFC is extremely tough this year. And the fact that they lost to the Titans or the Texans, I'm sorry, on Sunday, they needed this win. And for the Baltimore Ravens, The Baltimore Ravens are fighting a couple things. They're fighting, obviously, to stay atop the NFC North or AFC North. They're also trying to fight history, at least recent history. Because when you look at this team, and that's one thing that was in the back of my mind almost the entire time watching this Thursday night football game. When you when you look at the recent history, We've seen this type of Baltimore Ravens team to an extent. They've been really good in the regular season. Lamar Jackson has been incredible. Lamar Jackson looks like, or Lamar Jackson and this team looks like they're Super Bowl caliber teams. But the history that they're fighting is, of course, in the playoffs. Because there's been multiple times, like I said, where this Lamar Jackson team, a lot of people, including myself, thought that they were Super Bowl caliber teams and they didn't even make it out the first round. 
Lamar Jackson has one. I know a lot of people say it, so I'm going to say it. Lamar Jackson has one playoff win in his career. Now, I'm not putting that all on Lamar Jackson. It's just that's just the stain that the Ravens have right now. Now, yes, I know they have two Super Bowls in their in their lineage, but still. I'm not going to I'm not going to take I think this was a huge win for the Ravens and a devastating loss for the Bengals. Not just the fact that the Bengals lost to the Ravens, which is of course an AFC AFC divisional opponent, but the status of Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow came into the season. That's what somebody said. I don't remember who said I think Shannon Sharp said it. If you're limping into the season, you usually don't walk out. And what I mean by that and what he meant by that was if you're hurt going into the season, you're usually the NFL is not the, the league where you can play yourself to health. That just doesn't work. The, the, how physical it is, how daunting it is on the body. If you're unhealthy going in, you're going to be unhealthy going out. And I'm not saying that Joe Burrow's hand or wrist injury is connected to his hamstring injury, obviously. But what I'm saying is it's tough going into a season injured because it just opens yourself up. It opens the body up to more injury. Now, I hope that whatever's going on with Joe Burrow, again, as I'm taping this, the official diagnosis of what's wrong has not been revealed. So I hope that is not as serious as it looked. But you got T. Higgins who's out. Hubbard is out. Now Joe Burrow is out. A season that at least... In the offseason before Joe Burrow got hurt, looked like this could be a Cincinnati Bengals year. Now it's looking like the season's over. And, and of course, it's obviously not statistically over, seeing as though there's still, what, eight games left. But I don't see a path where this Cincinnati Bengals team, yes, I can see them making the playoffs, but I don't see how this team makes a Super Bowl run. And a lot of that is due to health of their best player, which is Joe Burrow. It can be minuscule. And not just Joe Burrow, it's the health of the team as well. This injury can be minuscule. It can just be a one- to two-week thing. Who knows? But I know what I saw. And I know how painful it was for Joe Burrow to just throw the ball five yards. Maybe not even that. He couldn't grip the ball. I just don't see a path for the Cincinnati Bengals, at least this year. And even and with that, which also looms greatly for this team every year in sports things change I'm not saying that 
the wide receivers make Joe Burrow. And I'm also not saying that Joe Burrow makes these wide receivers, but what I'm saying is there's a good possibility that T. Higgins is not here next year. How does this look? This is a huge loss for the Cincinnati Bengals. Not just for now, obviously, because yeah, obviously you lost to the Ravens, but this can spell doom for a lot of things. Of course, you don't want it to. You want the best product out there, but it's going to be tough for Cincinnati. And for the Baltimore Ravens, I said that they were fighting history, recent history. But I will admit that this team feels like it's prime for a Super Bowl run. Losing Mark Andrews was huge. We talk about safety blankets, and every quarterback has a safety blanket. For instance, Josh Allen's safety blanket has been Stephon Diggs. Patrick Mahomes' safety blanket has been Travis Kelsey. Justin Herbert's safety blanket has been Keenan Allen. Uh, Give me one more example. Let me give you one more example. Tua Tagovailoa's safety blanket has been Tyreek Hill. Every quarterback has a safety blanket. And Mark Andrews uh, or Lamar Jackson's safety blanket has been Mark Andrews. And Mark Andrews at the tight end position, of course, Travis Kelsey usually gets all the praise, and rightfully so. He is arguably one of, if not the greatest tight end to ever play. George Kittle usually gets a lot of the praise, and rightfully so. He's an incredible tight end, one of the best in the league. And his his energy just exudes attention, which is not, not in a bad way. Mark Andrews is one of those tight ends that never really gets the attention, but is one of the best tight ends in football. And not just because of how he's able to catch the ball, obviously, and find open creases and obviously be the safety blanket for Lamar Jackson, but his blocking ability. He is one of the best blocking tight ends in football. So the Ravens are losing a lot with Mark Andrews being out. You're going to have like likely is going to have to step up and the wide receivers. Now they stepped up on Thursday. The wide receivers, this is probably the best game this wide receiver core has had when we talk about Nelson Aguilar and Odell Beckham Jr. and Zay Flowers. This was probably, oh, and Rashad Bateman, he caught a touchdown as well. This is probably the best the wide receivers have played, and they're going to have to play better. Lamar Jackson trusts Mark Andrews. I know they came into the league together, but they he trusts him. Now he's going to have to develop trust with somebody else this year for the rest of the season. Now, you hope it's someone like Odell Beckham Jr. And shouts out to Odell Beckham Jr. for getting his first 100-plus yard game since what 2000, the Super Bowl, I think. 
or I know it was 2021. I don't remember if it was the Super Bowl or not. Maybe the game before. But now the wide receivers are going to have to step up. And we're going to see if Zay Flowers and Oda Beckham Jr. can step up. But it just feels like this Ravens team is destined for a Super Bowl run. Especially when you see, now don't get me wrong, the AFC is good. The AFC is tough. But you look at every team, including the Ravens, and every team does have an issue. And I just I just feel, especially, and another thing that is that really breeds this feeling for me when we talk about the Ravens and the Super Bowl chances is their defense. Roquan Smith or Raquan, Roquan Smith has transformed this defense. It is a top tier defense. That's always been the problem. Their defense, not always, but in the Lamar Jackson era, their defense hasn't really been able to catch up as well as not having wide receivers. Well, this is a team, and this team is incredible. And I know that a lot of people are going to nitpick about Thursday night saying, well, again, Joe Burrow didn't play this and the third. I'm not saying that it would have been as lopsided as 34 to 20. But I do believe the way that the Ravens have been playing and how the game started and how the game essentially went, I think the Ravens would have won regardless. Probably the the score would have been much closer, but I do think the Ravens would have won. Losing Mark Andrews is huge, but outside of that, there isn't. If the wide receivers can continue to play like they've played these last two weeks, I understand, or last two games, I understand that they lost to the Browns, but that's kind of a freak loss with a pick six and you're up double digit, you know. If this team is able to play like they've played the last two to three weeks as an entire team, even with Mark Andrews out, this, to me, is the Super Bowl, is the favorite in the AFC. So shouts out to the Ravens for beating the Bengals 34 to 20. I am going to give my predictions now for week 11 of the NFL season. As we know, and I say this every week, Thursday night football pretty much is the start of the new NFL week. So here are my predictions. First, you have the Cowboys at Panthers. The Panthers are 1-8, and eight, and one thing that the Cowboys do perfectly is they destroy lesser opponents. They are unrelenting, and they do not care. If you have a – if you're a lesser opponent to them, you're getting smacked. If you don't believe me, ask the Giants. I have the Cowboys winning handedly against the Panthers uh, in the first game. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad, I think. I could be wrong, but I don't. The Cowboys, if they are playing a lesser opponent, they do not play around. They handle business. So I have the Cowboys beating the Panthers. The Steelers at Browns. Now, the biggest news coming out of the the Browns camp, obviously, is Deshaun Watson is out for the season with season-ending shoulder surgery. Apparently, he has been playing with a broken shoulder or partially broken shoulder, and he 
the doctor said, yo, you got to chill out. He wanted to obviously play and kept getting shot up in his arm. But the doctor was like, hey, bro, you're running the risk of permanent damage. We got to shut you down. That is that is monumental as far as the Browns' chances at a Super Bowl. Nobody is saying that. It's obviously clear that this team, at least defensively, is a Super Bowl caliber team as far as the defense. This defense is a Super Bowl caliber defense. That is the Browns. And not having someone like Deshaun Watson, who at least the last the fourth quarter of last game he we saw a glimpse which is also very shocking seeing as though we saw a glimpse of the Deshaun Watson that the Browns have been waiting on and just so happened he was playing with a with a broken shoulder they're going to there's no again I talked about this on several occasions gone are the days where you can have a game manager or a less than quarterback and win the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter how good your team is. That If that was the case, the 49ers would have won multiple Super Bowls in the last few years. So this really affects, and not having Nick Chubb, this really affects the Browns' chances of winning a Super Bowl. Now, for the current, I don't think that this affects the Browns as far as going against the Steelers. I think that the Steelers have been struggling. The Steelers, what they do is they smother you defensively and they try to go for a big play, whether that's Najee Harris, whether that's George Pickens. They're going to try to hit you with a big play, even though they're they're not that good offensively. I think in the long run, the Browns not having Deshaun Watson, when I say long run, I mean Super Bowl, it's it's out the window. But I do think that they're going to beat the Steelers. I think that this week the Browns' defense is going to suffocate the Steelers' offense, the Steelers' offense that has been struggling all year, obviously, So even though they're 6-3. and three. So I have the Browns winning, uh, beating the Steelers. Bears at Lions. The Lions are going to destroy the Bears. I think. I think. I'm not going to say destroy. Let me not say that. But I, I'm going to say that the Lions are going to handedly beat the Bears. I just they're just a better team all around. And whether Justin Fields is out there or Tyson Bajant, it doesn't matter. The Bears are going to lose in my opinion. Chargers at Green Bay. The Green Bay Packers are not a good team. They have not been good all year. Now, you can kind of say the same thing for at least the Chargers defense. I think the Chargers offense is going to come alive. And even though the Packers defense is their strongest unit, I just think the Chargers are better. And the battle of the below 500s, I'm going with the Chargers. I think the Chargers are going to win. Cardinals at Texans. I have the Texans. The Texans are a better all-around team. Now, Kyler Murray did look good in his first return last week, but C.J. Stroud not only, in my opinion, is the rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, but he – has placed himself as an MVP candidate. I'm not saying he's an MVP front runner, but I do think he's an MVP candidate. And I just like how the Texans are playing, and I like the fact that C.J. Stroud, it doesn't matter if they're down, it doesn't matter if they're up, he is calm, cool, and collected. I have the Texans beating the Cardinals. Titans at Jaguars. 
The Jaguars need the Jaguars got embarrassed last week against the 49ers. And I've talked about this on several occasions this year. The Jaguars' biggest issue is turning the ball over. They're one of the hot they have some, I think they're one of the highest turnover rated teams in the league this year. I think that they're gonna come upset or come into the game. <laughs> Jesus, I am just Oh man, what is happening? <laughs> I think they're going to come into the game uh, upset because of how embarrassed they were last week, and take it out on the Titans. And that whole Will Levis train it has slowed down tremendously. I do think that he obviously is still the starting quarterback, but the whole Will Levis is a future thing. I don't know about that. I have the Jaguars beating the Titans. Raiders at Dolphins. The Dolphins beat on teams again. That's the the same thing that the Dolphins are. The same thing that we said about the Cowboys. We can kind of say about the Dolphins. They beat on teams that they should beat, and it's it. That's <laughs> they they just be destroying teams that aren't on their level. And the Raiders are not on the level, even though the Raiders have been playing good these last two weeks. I think that they're on a two game winning streak. That winning streak, in my opinion, is going to come to a end on Sunday, and I have the Dolphins beating the Raiders. Giants at Commanders. This is a sneaky big game for the Commanders. You really know, you're really going to know where they are in their in their development with Sam Howe, who leads the league in passing yards, by the way. Shouts out to Sam Howe. I got the Commanders winning. The Giants are a mess right now in a lot of aspects. So are the Commanders, but not as bad as the Giants. I have the Commanders winning. Buccaneers at 49ers. I have the 49ers winning. If we get the same 49ers that we got last week, that is the best team, not only in the NFC, but possibly the best team in football if we get the same 49ers that we got the week or that we got against the Jaguars last week. They're just they, – Brock Purdy doesn't need to do much to steer this ship home. So, and I don't think the Buccaneers have nearly as much to stop this 49ers team. So, I have the 49ers winning. Jets at Bills. Surprisingly, I think this is going to be a close game. I have the Bills winning. There's been a lot of noise this week with the Bills obviously losing to the losing to the Broncos. They've already lost to the Jets this year. And Stephon Diggs, and well, Trayvon Diggs has been tweeting out about his brother. It's been a loud week for the Bills. They fired their offensive coordinator and Ken Dorsey. I just think that the Bills are going to win. The Jag, the Jets are still the Jets. Zach Wilson is still Zach Wilson. This team is not that good. The defense is good, but it can only get you so far, obviously. And I think the Bills are just a better team. So I have the Bills winning. Seahawks at Rams. I have the Seahawks. The Seahawks are turning, well, have turned into a complete team. And the Rams, I don't know if Matthew Stafford's going to play. I don't know if Carson Wentz, who they just picked up, is going to play. I don't know. But the Seahawks, are, are they're just a complete team. So I have the Seahawks winning. Vikings at Broncos. Actually, I have the Broncos. I think the Broncos have turned the corner. Now, again, I don't think that they're a Super Bowl caliber team. And I honestly don't think that they're that good of a team. But 
the Vikings are riding a Joshua Dobbs high, and rightfully so. He's been incredible coming in there. But the Broncos, they've looked really good. And the thing that's honestly changed the most is their defense, and their defense has has played up to snuff, as well as Russell Wilson. He looks more poised in the pocket, and Sean Payton looks like he's kind of developed a system around Russell Wilson outside of incorporating Russell Wilson into a system. So I think I got the Broncos winning. I think the Broncos, from what it looks like, they've kind of turned the corner. So I got the Broncos. And Monday Night Football, the game that the probably the game of the year in the regular season, the Super Bowl rematch, Eagles at Chiefs. To me, you're go you're you're there's the same feeling going into this game from both teams, just slightly different. What I mean by that is both teams are incredible. Both teams are riding high. I mean, the Chiefs are 7-2, and two, the Eagles are 8-1. and one. Both teams are really good, and both teams are at least good enough to make it back to a Super Bowl. But there, there, there is a feeling that there is something missing from both teams. Obviously, the some of the defensive decisions and especially their secondary, like Bradbury hasn't been playing that well, and their secondary can give up huge plays. And Jalen Hurts, he's been nursing a an knee injury majority of the season, so we don't know if that's gonna gonna come to play. And for the Chiefs, as we know. Patrick Mahomes and his relationship with his wide receivers are still developing. And until that gets, it just feels like their offense is a lot harder now because of the lack of relationship. But I think the Eagles are going to win this. It's very difficult for us. I don't know the stats on this, but usually it seems like you have a team that unless they're just drastically better when you have teams this close i think the factor of the philadelphia eagles lost in super bowl so that's added motivation they're upset that they <laughs> they're upset that they lost and they were kind of dominating in the super bowl it's just a couple plays when you have teams that close a couple plays honestly dictated the super bowl so I just I just think that the Eagles are going to win. I don't know if that I don't I'm not going to say that's going to negate everything that happened in the Super Bowl. Obviously, you want to win in the Super Bowl more than you want to win in the regular season, but I I I think the Eagles are going to win. I think the Eagles are going to win. So, those are my predictions for week 11 of the NFL season. Let's go over to basketball. What we're seeing from Klay Thompson and this Golden State Warriors team is what it looks like when a dynasty ends. The reason why teams or dynasties try to hang on as long as they can because they understand that usually dynasties don't spin the block. And on top of that, it looks extremely ugly when it ends. 
And one thing that usually doesn't get talked about a lot when we talk about dynasties is they do end. And they end poorly. Like the Patriots. That dynasty ended as soon as Tom Brady walked out that door. And it's been pretty bad ever since. It's so bad. Bill Belichick might not even be the coach for the Patriots next year. The Golden State Warriors dynasty is over. I'm not saying that they can't win a championship again. But that whole dynasty, the whole, it's the Warriors against everyone, that's done. And a clear-cut sign of that is Klay Thompson. Now, Steph is Steph. And before I move, before I go forward, talking about Klay Thompson and Steph Curry right now is a perfect example of showing how if showing the difference between stars and superstars stars are good stars are great clay thompson has been a star in this league clay thompson the name clay thompson still holds star like qualities but the difference between a star and a superstar is the difference between Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. Steph Curry, quite as kept, is one of the oldest players in basketball, but he still plays like one of the best players in basketball. Steph Curry, in my opinion, is inarguably a top 10, top 5 player right now when healthy because obviously he has, like I think, knee soreness. And I'm not here crapping on Klay Thompson. What I'm here is what, what I'm what I'm saying is what we're seeing from Klay Thompson is a perfect illustration of what happens to a team, what happens to a player when the dynasty is over. Klay Thompson is currently currently averaging 13.8 points a game. Now, for a role player for Someone coming off the bench, that is great. 13 points. If you can get 13 points from someone off the bench, that's an incredible stat. If you can get someone like Max Christie to average 13.8 points a game for the Lakers, that's great. But someone with the cachet with four rings, someone with that's a future Hall of Famer and Klay Thompson – Averaging 13.8 points, which is 84th in the NBA right now, is putrid. He's He has 1.9 assists a game, which is 140th. And he's shooting from the field, not just from three, from the field, 40.1%, which is 134th in the NBA. The reason why the dynasty is over isn't because their star player has taken a step back, which he hasn't. Steph Curry is still playing probably his best basketball he's ever played, and this is a two-time MVP. The reason why this dynasty is over because you need, especially in today's NBA, you need someone to take the ride with you. 
And Steph Curry had Clay Thompson for majority of his career. Clay, in fact, let me look at something real quick. Clay Thompson from 2014-15 season to last year didn't average under 20 points. And it's like in the regular season, he did not average under 20 points from 2014-15 season to the 2022-23 season. And it's not all on him, but he has been a very important cog to this championship caliber team, to this dynasty that is the Golden State Warriors. But you're starting to see once he starts wearing down, I mean, again, he's 33. And I know that in the new age of basketball, in the new age of medicine, that's young for a player, but one thing that never really gets talked about is these dynasties, these championship caliber teams, these championship winning teams, they play longer than a lot of these teams because they have a whole postseason. They got multiple postseasons on their legs. And I'm I'm not saying that Klay Thompson can't turn it around this year. I'm not saying that Golden State can't win a championship this year. But what I'm saying is that dynasty window, that window of that feeling that, oh, Golden State. If Golden State wins a championship this year, to me, it would be a shock. Kind of like if it was a shock in, what, 2000, the 2022 season? It was kind of a shock. But it's just like, well, that's still Golden State. If they won this year, especially with how talented the league is, it would be shocking, especially how they've been playing to start this season. They're under 500. I think they're on a five-game losing streak. So, I don't, I'm not here singling out Klay Thompson. I'm not saying – another thing, actually. Now I'm gonna actually going to single out Klay Thompson. This is, an embarrass, this, is very, this is a very important year for Klay Thompson because this is a contract year. And usually, you're, you usually see players play their best basketball because they obviously want the contract. And Klay Thompson is doing things, which, which you get because he's trying to get the contract. He's doing things that kind of disrupt the team a little bit sometimes. Like, take Klay Thompson's always take, taking horrible shots. The difference is he's been making it. Well, when you don't make it, they're just horrible shots. Klay Thompson is a microcosm of everything that is going on with the Golden State Warriors. They're too small at times. Chris Paul, it's worked as far as assists coming off the bench, but Chris Paul, he is he hasn't been making any shots. Outside of Steph Curry, they have one outside of Steph, when Steph Curry's playing, they've had one player. Two players now get over 20 or get 20 points or over. And one of them is a rookie that played when Steph Curry was out the other day. I'd be shocked if Golden State wins it this year. I'll just I'll keep it, I'm going to keep it real with you. Speaking of shocked, 
it's undoubtable. Like you can't you can't doubt that we're looking at a new age of basketball. And the old the basketball that we've been used to for years is coming to an end. And what I mean by that there isn't this era is is the LeBron James, KD, Steph Curry, while they're still playing great, don't get me wrong, that era is almost over. Because we're seeing the youth take over. We're seeing players that are extremely young but extremely talented and skilled and will be that way for a while. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to give my top five right now, top five players 25 and under. Now, this list was incredibly difficult because of just how many talented players are in the league. Like Tyrese Halliburton, he didn't make the list, but he is incredible. He was like the, the last person not to make it. Victor Wimbenyama. Now, of course, I know he's a rookie and he there's a very small sample size, but what we've seen, he has the ability to be great. Man, they there are some players that Zion Williamson, even though injuries and and you know body management that's played a part, but when he is healthy, when he's a hundred percent and when he's Engaged, he is arguably a top 10 player as well as John Moran. We see what this Grizzlies team looks like with and without him off the court. It's been crazy, man. But again, what I wanted to do is I wanted to give my top five right now players 25 and under. That means if you're 25 and under, because I saw the list the other day. I'm not even going to talk about the list. Let's talk about my list. And number five, I have Tyrese Maxey. I think that Tyreek Maxey has the ability to rise up in the rankings, especially in these rankings. I just have to see more. But what I am seeing from Tyreek Maxey, I was so... I'm not going to say I was wondering because James Harden wasn't the greatest when he was Philly, when he was in Philly, but I was. it was concerning. Actually, I think James Harden should have been a little bit concerned when Philly was just ready to let go, not because of all the antics, but because they knew that they had Tyreek's Maxey. And the presence of James Harden was dampering the talent of Tyreek's Maxey. As we sit here today, Tyreek's Maxey is arguably one of the best guards, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the NBA. When we talk about his his ability to score, his ability to assist. I mean, currently he's averaging 20, if we're rounding up, 28 points a game and seven assists if we're rounding up. It's, 20, it's 27.6 points and 6.7 assists. And shooting damn near 50% from the field. He's shooting 48.6. Tyrese Maxey, he had his first 50-point game the other night. He is incredible, and he is the biggest reason why – he is one of the biggest reasons why the the Philadelphia 76 not only fell off a cl- didn't fall off a cliff when they lost James Harden, but they're flourishing, and they are obviously one of the best teams in basketball. So at number five, I have Tyrese Maxey. At number four, I have Shea Gilders-Alexander. Like, come on now. That's – Shea Gilders, last year he finished – 
as first team All NBA. There was no way in heaven and hell I could not. And and he's been great this year. Shay, he's averaging twenty eight point eight points a game, six point five rebounds, six assists, shooting fifty one percent from the field. The 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 Thunder is eight and four right now. They just beat the Warriors. It's their look. And Shea's how great Shea is. He is able to bring the best out of Chet Holmgren and bring the best out of out of just uh, J- the Jalen's. It's it's been great. And Shea Gilgis is one of undoubtedly the best point guards in the league, especially when you look at his frame being 6'6", and how much his shot and how much his ability to score has increased since being with the Clippers. It's been great. So I have Shea Gilgis at number four. At number three, I have Anthony Edwards. Now, this these last three were extremely difficult because – Anthony Edwards may not have the numbers, but you can just tell what you're watching when you watch Anthony Edwards. He he is not only the face of the Timberwolves; they are they have the like the number one defensive team in the league. I think Anthony Edwards he can beat you defensively. He he there's nothing he can't do, and the fact that his playmaking is getting better, I think. Look, Anthony Edwards has the ability. When we look up, I would not be surprised if you look up maybe four or five years from now. Hell, maybe even three years from now. And Anthony Edwards is arguably the best player in the league. That's the, that's the type of talent that we're dealing with when we, have, when we talk about Anthony Edwards. And I have him at number three. Because at number two, I have Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, and to be number one and number two, at least right now, I went back and forth with it. Jason Tatum is incredible. There's Jason Tatum is one of the main reasons why I have the Boston Celtics as possible favorites to win it all. He can score in bunches. He's a great defender at this point in his career. And to be only 25 and have – he has such – I know he's been in the league since 2017, but he has such a poise about him and the fact that – now, yeah, there there could be times when he goes through shooting droughts, but with his frame and his dribbling ability and his ability to get to the rim, there's not much Jason Tatum can do, can't do. Uh, and I, I – I know. Okay, so I had him at number two. At number one, should be obvious, it's Luka Doncic. He's averaging 30.7 points a game, 7.8 rebounds, and 8.1 assists. The only thing Luka doesn't do is play defense like that. Actually, ain't no like that. He doesn't play defense, but Luka is different. (laughs) When we talk about point guards, when we talk about scars in general, Luca being six seven and being able to do what he's doing, he's one of the, he's in con, he's in conversations as one of the greatest, if not the greatest foreign player we've ever seen. Obviously, he needs some championships under his belt or at least one. 
But he is in that Hakeem Olajuwon, Dirk Nowinski conversation when we talk about best foreign players ever. And, yeah, the league is in such good hands, man. Because there's, again, my list is Tyrese Maxey at number five, Shea Gilders at number four, Anthony Edwards at number three, Jason Tatum at number two, and Luka Doncic at number one. But I could have very well said someone like a, Again, Victor Oladipo could have been there. No one really talks about Scotty Barnes or Mikael Bridges or Cade Cunningham. It's Ty- Tyrese Halliburton. It's, 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 look, man, the league is in really good hands. And it's very interesting to see how this is, how. When we look up a couple years from now, how different the league is going to look, but how skilled and talented it is. Because, I mean, even a lot of these rookies are playing great, like the Thompson Twins. Both of them are playing good. It's just crazy. Those are my top five. So let me know what you guys think. Who is your top five uh, players 25 and under? Do you think Victor Wimiyama should have been on the list? Because he shows flashes. I'll tell you that. So, yeah. Let's move on. I wanted to give a shout-out to Shakur Stevenson for beating Edwin De Los Santos to win the vacant WBC lightweight title. I I understand boxing. You heard a lot of complaints and stuff coming out of this fight saying as though Shakur Stevenson, he doesn't have the most interesting fights, which I understand. Like At the end of the day, winning is important. But actually, winning is the most important. I mean, not, winning is the most important. But I know when we try to hype up a sport or when you're trying to promote a fight, intrigue matters. And it's very hard when and, – and, and, and I'm starting to understand it now because I'm, I'm not a boxing novice. Don't get me wrong. So I'm still learning things as this podcast journey continues to roll on. And – I never really understood the struggles or the aspect of why is it hard to promote winners? You know, why is it hard to promote winners for fights? And this Shakur Stevenson fight was a perfect example of why, because the fight was boring. Now, ultimately, he won, and I'm starting to see where a lot of the criticism for Shakur Stevenson comes from as far as while yes he does win and he is a dominant fighter in that way he has boring fights and he is a very he's he's it's very hard to promote his fights I mean you're pretty much promoting his name and the fact that he's a champion outside of the fact that he actually has interesting fights uh, so I'm interested to see what's next for him but shouts out to him for beating uh, Edwin De Los Santos. It's just, it was just a boring fight. It was a boring fight. Now, again, at the end of the day, the most important thing is winning, and he obviously won. But yeah, man, that that fight was boring. It was boring. Now he he won, but it was boring. And I see how people like Javante Davis or Devin Haney. Not saying that they're better or, or anything, but I understand what they're saying when they're talking about promoting the fight and and payment splits and stuff. It's hard when it's not the most 
intriguing fight as far that by the name is intriguing, but that was a boring fight. I will say that. So, yeah. Now let's get to the unpopular topic of the day. Carissa Thompson is a NFL analyst, NFL reporter, not analyst, I'm sorry, NFL reporter. She is currently employed for Fox and Amazon. She is a reporter that you see regularly on the sideline of Fox NFL games, Fox college football games, more NFL than college football. I know Jenny Taft does a lot of college football games now. And she is a reporter for the NFL Thursday Night Football for Amazon. She's been doing this for years. Like, Carissa Thompson ha- is is one of the faces of sideline football, you know. And she came out and said that she she said this on a pot like she said this out her mouth that there has been several occasions now I'm butchering the the exact quote but she pretty much said that she has lied on multiple reports that she completely made them up first and foremost I said this on Twitter or X or whatever it is this is the p- the prime example of white privilege. Not the fact that she said this. Not the fact that she lied. Not the fact that she admitted that as a sideline reporter, she lied about having conversations with people. She lied about having reports. She lied about sources. The fact that she said this, while still employed... As a NFL reporter, it ain't like she just got fired or something. She said this while employed at two places as a NFL reporter and had no care in the world, or not care, had no idea or thought that she would find any ramification from this is White privilege. Because let let someone like Lisa Salter say this. We know how great Lisa Salter is. Let someone like Lisa Salter say this. Let someone like Pam Oliver say this. Let someone like Taylor Rook say this. It's curtains for their career. It don't care. It don't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. It does not matter what you've won it doesn't matter the cachet your name brings if someone like a maria taylor came out and said that she's been lying or she has lied bold-faced lied about having reports or sources or conversations with people they would be out of here this is the prime example of white privilege that she can say this and still be employed and have no still be employed as an NFL reporter 
Now, you're seeing a wave of sideline reporters, NFL reporters, NBA reporters, just reporters in general, whether sports, news, anything. You're seeing a wave of people pretty much trash that. Trash what she said. And I'm going to tell you why. When you look at someone like an Adam Schefter, when you look at someone like an Adrian Wojnarowski, let me, let me, in fact, disregard that. When you look at these reporters, there's no way they get stories. There's no way that they can get sit downs. There's no way they can get conversations without trust. Trust in the players, trust in the organization. There's no way that you can build. There's no way that you can exceed in your field as a reporter, no matter if it's sports, whatever industry. If you're a reporter, there's no way that you can elevate without trust. And what Carissa Thompson has openly admitted to doing is disregarding the trust of the people that she's reporting on. For anyone, that is a death sentence for their careers. Especially when you have reporter as a job title. When you're reporting on something and the people that you're reporting on don't trust you because you have come out to admit that you have lied about things, that is a death sentence to your career, usually. Now, she's come back. She put out a report saying that they misinterpreted what she said. And that she has actually never come out and lied about a report that she said. It ain't like they mis- misreported this. It ain't like... She typed, she misspelled something and or autocorrect and said, no, she said this into a podcast microphone. As we sit here today, she's still employed from Fox as a sideline reporter. As we sit here, or as an NFL reporter, as we sit here today, she's still employed for Amazon Prime as an NFL reporter. And if you ever needed an example of what white privilege looks like, yeah. And on top of that, I appreciate every single reporter that has come out and just expressed how wrong this is and how they pride themselves and they they pride themselves on building the best relationship or the most integral integrity filled relationship possible with these players because they know as reporters their career is going nowhere if you can't build trust And how do you expect to build trust when you're openly, casually saying 
you've lied about reports. As a reporter. I said I don't like ending shows. I started this episode with saying I don't like ending shows. Uh, I don't like ending things negatively. So how am I going to spin this positively? Hmm. Shouts out to all the reporters that still lead with integrity. Like shouts out to the Lisa Salters. Shouts out to the Jenny Tafts. Shouts out to the Pam Olivers, who just had, I think, a college football game day anniversary. Shouts out to Maria Taylor. Shouts out to Taylor Rooks. Shouts out to all the integrity-filled reporters that bust their ass to get the scoop and understand that even if they don't they just don't they just don't make up something like Carissa Thompson admitted on an open microphone but then tried to backtrack and said that's not what she meant oh and last thing I'm going to say for people that are saying well maybe she was misquoted Here's a here's a small little tidbit about the podcast world or about the media world in general. When you're a podcast guest and you have a podcast guest with the cachet or the name like Carissa Thompson, who is famous in a lot of areas, they usually have creative control on some things. Like she could have said that and been like, hey, I don't really want you to put that out. And at the discretion of the podcast, which usually they do because you don't want to be that podcast that someone comes on and just spews something or misspeaks or or just says something terrible and you still pull it out. You don't want to be that podcast because people will stop kind of like reporters. People will stop coming on. You know, you, you just you just get a bad name. But people, famous people. When they have when they when they get on a podcast, they usually see or hear it before it goes out. So she knew that was going out. Goes back to the white privilege. She had absolutely no idea that it was or she was completely oblivious to the fact that this was it was going to cause such a tidal wave of comments and reactions. But, you know, it's also funny. Or, you know, you know what's also clear about this? It obviously don't matter because, you know, the only people that it matters if they're saying something or not, which they're obviously not, is Fox and Amazon Prime. The two places that she is still report. She is still an NFL reporter at. But, hey, every time something like this happens in. Someone like myself screams out white privilege. They always say, that's what's wrong with this country. Um, I am uh, taking a step back. It's not a white and black thing. It's not. But again, imagine if Lisa Salter said this. And there you have it. 
That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the Instagram. I'm not Instagram, the YouTube. Please subscribe to wherever you're listening. It definitely means a lot to me. I'm trying to grow the YouTube page, and it continues to grow, which I appreciate everyone that follows. I appreciate everyone that subscribes. It means so much to me. Tell a friend to tell a friend if you like the content and they're not subscribed, tell them to subscribe. If you get to this point point, you're not subscribed, like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Also, please follow the socials. Follow Instagram. Follow TikTok. I pretty much post daily there. So, yeah. That's where you can leave your comments. That's probably where you can get to me directly with your opinions on something that I said. Just keep it respectful, and we'll have a conversation. We'll have a debate about it. I appreciate all the insight. I appreciate the conversation. So, and yeah, man, until next time, much love.